0: Well, January 30th, 2009, at 1137, a nurse at Palomar Hospital handed me a baby. My baby, um, Ethan, 6 pounds, 10 ounces, little tiny guy. But as she handed him to me, I had this overwhelming feeling that my life would never be the same. I'd fallen in love in a way that I I never knew that I really could, and and, and also um, I I sensed that although he weighed six pounds, ten ounces, he actually weighed a little bit more than that on my heart and my life. Well, we um, put him in the car seat a few days later after those few glorious days where the nurses changed his diapers (laughs) and made sure that we didn't kill him. It was wonderful, really. We got in the car, strapped him in the car seat, put him in the car, started driving home. And if you have kids, you probably remember that drive home, the drive home of where you are going ten miles an hour in a 35 zone, and you're wondering why everybody else is in such a hurry. I mean, anybody with me? So I'm driving along. I'm I'm, I am just going my speed, and my speed was slow, and people are honking at me. They're waving at me with only one finger in the air, and it's not this finger. We're, We're in church, people. And then we walked, into the, we walked through the threshold of the door. I helped Kelly get into the house. And then uh, I had Ethan under my arm. And we walked through the threshold of the door, closed the door behind us. And the silence was almost deafening. And it was as though sirens should have been going off somewhere in the universe to alert people that we had absolutely no clue what we were doing. And I had this feeling like... So is this a joke? Like nobody's gonna come through the door and go, okay, we were just kidding. We know you don't have a clue, right? We know you have no clue. And I can remember holding this little kid and like I said, he weighed six pounds, 10 ounces, but he might as well have weighed 1,000 pounds. Because the weight I felt in that moment was just, it redefined the way that I looked at life. And see, here's the truth of the matter, friends, is we, we all We all carry weight. Some of it's really good and beautiful, and some of it's really dark and difficult. But every single one of us, we walk in these doors today, and we walk in carrying a weight. And some of us, we carry the weight of a a painful past, and we look back at it, and we go, man, I I just don't know how I could ever climb out from under the weight of my past. And and it just sits on our shoulders, doesn't it? And we replay those things. over and over in our mind to think, man, if I, could, if I could just go back and redo that. Some of us, we carry the pain literally in our body into this place. <laughs> that our body's breaking down, doctors don't know what's going on, or they know what's going on, they just can't do anything about it. Or maybe you just woke up in the morning and you have one more ache in a place you didn't usually have an ache, and it's just that ever-present reminder that you're getting older. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Maybe it's you turn on the news, right? And you don't have to look that far to see, man, just insanity in our world. I mean, just this week in Brussels where terrorists attack and somebody straps a bomb to their chest, walks into an airport terminal, and and you don't have to go that far, do you, to have a little bit of weight? In a room this size, there's people that you're walking in here, you had a fight in the car on the way here, and you're sitting next to somebody, and you're all smiles, but deep down inside, <laughs> you're carrying the weight, right? Right. And all of us, see, see, there's things that you carry, there's things that I carry, all of us. And, and here's the deal, friends. Will you look up at me for just a moment? The weight that we carry determines the way that we walk. It does. The more weight we have on our shoulders the more it feels imposing and it feels like, are we ever going to get out from under this? And see, this isn't just a condition for some people. This is a condition for all people. All of us have this. We've all experienced this. And the question we wrestle with as human beings is, what are we supposed to do with the things that weigh us down? Because the weight that we carry determines the way that we walk. Some of you are in here today and you have kids that you love and that you poured into you knew that same weight that i knew when they handed them to you and they're not sitting next to you today for a number of different reasons but it's a weight that you carry and the weight that we carry determines the way that we walk for all of us it's interesting as followers of jesus that we have a we have this conviction about this weight We have a conviction about the way that we walk and the weight that we carry. In fact, our conviction is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's because of the reality that Jesus walked out of the grave that we can walk in newness of life. That's our conviction. Let me show it to you from the scriptures. Let me show it to you. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, all of the passages we read today are going to be on the screens behind me. But listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Rome. And he wants to write to encourage them as they walk with Jesus. He wants to write to to spur them on to live in the faith that they hold so dear. And listen to what he says in verse 4 of chapter 6. He says this. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. And the hymn here is Jesus. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might... And let's say it together, walk in newness of life. You see, here's Paul's conviction, and it's a conviction I just want to say over all of us today, and it's this, that we can walk in newness of life because Jesus walked out of the grave. We can walk in newness of life because Jesus walked out of the grave. So the early followers of Christ, they had this sort of crazy conviction. Their conviction was... If Christ walked out of the grave, then everything changed. And if he didn't, then they should be looked at as the most foolish people who walked the face of the planet. So so here's what we do today. It's not like, well, we could take it or leave it or maybe I'll believe or maybe I won't. Early followers of Christ, they were convinced that if Christ had not been raised from the dead... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then their preaching is in vain and their faith is in vain. See, Paul's gonna go on to say, listen, we should be pitied among, above all people. We're, we're morons if he didn't walk out of the grave. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a moron <laughs> if he didn't walk out of the grave. If he didn't walk out of the grave. And so here's the deal. There's a lot of people in this room today. Some of you are followers of Jesus. Some of you aren't. And so if you're not, my guess is you're looking at me going, so Paulson, you want me to base my life around an event that we can read about that happened in the Bible. You want me to base my whole life on that one event? And what I want to say to you is yes, but not just because it says it in the Bible, Sure, it does say it in the Bible, and it it paints this picture of Jesus walking out of the grave in beautiful fashion. But did you know that that's not the only place that we can look to find the conviction that that, in fact, did happen 2,000-plus years ago? Let me give you a few other reasons you could believe that Jesus walked out of the grave. One, um, 10 out of his 11 followers, so not counting Jesus, his closest friends, his disciples, 10 out of 11 of them give their life because they're convinced that Jesus walked out of the grave. Um, second, there's no other good explanation for why Christianity survives the first century if Christ did not rise from the grave. I mean, it's, it is fable and folklore. It is not history if he didn't walk out of the grave. We wouldn't be gathered here today. Third, um, Jesus' own brother bows down and worships him. Now, if you have a sibling, <laughs> I just want to throw it out there. How far would they have to go to convince you that they were worthy of worship? I have a brother and a sister, and I don't have a prayer of that. (laughs) See, but James in 62 AD, about 30 years after his brother goes to the cross, he gives his life stoned in the streets for the one conviction, my brother walked out of the grave. Hey, 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 just the fact that we gather here on a Sunday should be a flag that we wave every time we wake up on a Sunday and have the day off, you should thank Jesus he walked out of the grave. Because <laughs> before, the, see, see here's the deal, for 320 years followers of Christ met on a Sunday and it was a work day, they got up before anybody else did, they gathered in homes, they gathered in um, public spaces, they broke bread, they worshiped, they prayed, they learned from the scriptures and then they went to work. But they worshiped on a Sunday. They switched their day of worship from a Saturday to a Sunday because their conviction was our Lord walked out of the grave on a Sunday. So we're going to worship on that day. Do you know you don't only need to go to the Bible to believe that Jesus walked out of the grave. I could point you to four or five secular historians around the time of Jesus who recount the same truth that the scriptures show. These are people who don't have faith. They're just telling the history of what happened. Listen to one of them. His name is Flavius Josephus. If you're looking for any baby names, (laughs) throw it out there. Either one, either one. He says this, Now, there was about this time Jesus. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men amongst us had condemned him to the cross. Those who loved him did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. The divine prophets had foretold these men and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Oh, man. It's awesome. Not a believer, just a historian. Just wants to tell you what happened. Will you look up at me for a second? It's the hinge point of history. Whether or not Jesus walked out of the grave is the hinge point of history. It's the hinge point of history, and it's the hinge point of our stories as followers of Jesus because we don't just look back at what happened 2,000 years ago. We look down today at where we stand. The ground we stand on today is shaped and defined by that moment. As Paul writes to the church, we, we'll read it again, that we can walk in newness of life because he walked out of the grave. Well, you may be asking, well, Paulson, how does that really happen and what does that really look like? I'm so glad you asked that. You're, you're dialed in. That's what I like about you. You're dialed in. Let, let me show you two things. One is we need to follow, if we're going to walk in this newness of life, we need to follow the pattern of Jesus and we need to follow and embrace the power of Jesus, Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, we were therefore buried with him, with Jesus, into, say it with me, church, death, into death. And so new life starts here. It starts with admitting, hey, there's some things going on in our life that are difficult, that are hard. As followers of Jesus, we don't try to escape reality. That's not the goal here at all. In fact, we want to step into it all the more with the conviction that Jesus is good. That Jesus is good. And so here's how we start. The start of the Christian life is, God, I surrender to you. I can't do it on my own. I've tried. And I cannot earn my way to you. I cannot get to you. I cannot do enough good to get to you. God, I I surrender. It's the invitation that Jesus gives to those who would follow him. So you might be here just checking Christianity out. Listen to what Jesus would invite you to. He said, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds like sort of death language, doesn't it? For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will what? Will save it. Because hey, the beginning of life is the surrender of ourselves. I, um, I love going out to sushi. It's one of my favorite things. And um, I love going out to all you can eat sushi. Praise be to God. But here's the deal. Whenever I go out to all you can eat sushi, I, I always have in mind how much I'm paying for the meal. Um, and I count in my wife going with me. And so I have a total in my mind. And then... I know how much I would have paid for the meal if I hadn't done all you can eat. Has anybody done this? So whenever I order, I'm keeping track of how much, if if I'm going to get the good end of the deal, right? And so I have a goal when I enter in. No, I have a commitment when I enter in (laughs) that I will get the better end of that deal. And so I order my first round like a normal person. And I order what I would normally eat. And I'm going and t- sort of down, 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 all right, I've still still—I got, got 20 bucks I got to make up, right? And so I order round two, and my wife looks at me, and she goes, you're on your own. <laughs> and I look up at her, and I say, hey, look up at me, look up at me. <laughs> Baby, we're in this together. We're in this together. And I order enough to get the better end of the deal. And at the end of every single time we go out to all you can eat sushi, we're walking out, nor rolling out. And I say to her, Why in the world did you let me do that to myself? Why? Every single time I just feel like I'm walking out of there feeling like I just ate not a raw salmon, but a raw whale. And I nailed the whole thing. I mean, I'm, and it was just this like prideful arrogance I've got to get the better end of the deal. I think that's how we feel about life a lot of the times. You ever walked out of a conversation with somebody going, man, I I won and I was right, but it wasn't worth it. A, A relationship that's broken because of words that you said and you were right, but winning the argument wasn't worth losing the friendship. The same is true of life. We can try to hold on and we can try to win and we can try to get our way But the teaching of Jesus would say that even if you feel like you're winning in that instance, you will lose. And the way to really win is to surrender. The way to really win in life, to find our life, as Jesus would say it, is to say, listen, I can't, but I trust that you can. And when we surrender, when we raise our arms to say, I can't, we actually open ourselves to the glory of God. But if we say, I've got to, God says, you're on your own. And good luck with all of this. You know that feeling. I know that feeling. See, it starts with following the pattern, and the pattern is surrender, but listen to where the power comes from. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Say these three words with me. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Have you ever wondered about the mechanics of how God raised Jesus from the dead? ever wondered about how that happened? Well, see, Paul wants to tell the church at Rome, here's how it happened. God laid all of his glory on the dead body of his son and in doing so, awakened him to life. See, that word glory is a weird word. It's a difficult word. In the scriptures, it could be in the Greek, it's the word doxa, in the Hebrew, it's the word kabod. It's word is used over 375 times in the Bible. See, God's glory is displayed in all of creation, the book of Psalms would say. You and I were created for God's glory, the prophet Isaiah would say. Paul in the book of Romans would say that everything is designed to point to and about the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? It's, it's all of who God is. It's his majesty. It's his beauty. It's his power. It's his love. It's his grace. It's his mercy. But in one word, here's what it is. One word. The glory of God is the weight of God. Literally in the Greek. It would be the weightiness of his splendor and his glory majesty. So the weight of God, are you with me, is poured out onto Jesus and it raises him from the dead. Hmm. Well, Romans says not just that that weight raised Jesus from the dead, but we die in order to have that weight rest on our lives too, that glory rest on our lives too. So here's the deal. Look up at me for a second. You will carry weight in life. Nobody escapes it. The question is, will you live under a weight that crushes you? The pain, the sorrow, that, man, things are going downhill in this world really, really fast. The person that you've lost that isn't sitting next to you, that you're just thinking about the whole time because it's Easter. You can live under that weight, and that's completely human and natural to do. But friends, there is a better invitation out there for you. It's what we celebrate in Easter, that the glory of God raised Christ from the dead. And here's the deal. The glory of God can raise you to walk in newness of life today, too. (coughs) It's the picture of Easter that he was raised up because the weight of God hit him. And the invitation for you today is you can choose to live under the weight of everything that's gone wrong, of the pain, of the perspectives, of the past, of all the stuff that you are carrying in this room today. Or, or, you can allow the weight of the resurrection the glory of God to rest on you and change you and awaken you to new life. See, God never promises to take away sorrow and pain. If anybody has told you that he does, they lied to you. What he promises to do is to outweigh all the pain and all the sorrow and all the regret and all the shame with the weight of his glory. That's what he promises to do. He doesn't promise to take it away. He just promises to offset it with who he is and the beauty of what he's done on your behalf. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul would put this. Well, here's the way I'd summarize it for us. See, walking in new life is not about how much weight we can release. It's about how much glory we can receive. See, because you and I know we can play this game all day. We can try to improve ourselves. We can try to go back and have the relationship work out. But we still know it's never going to be enough to turn the scales. So here's what Paul would write to the church at Corinth. He says, so we don't lose heart. Anybody close to that this morning? We don't lose heart. Though our our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for these light and momentary (coughs) afflictions are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's beyond comparison, he would say. So instead of trying to repair all the things that have gone wrong, here's the invitation. Look up at me just for a second. Instead of trying to repair all the things that have gone wrong, I want to simply invite you this morning to compare what he's done. Because you will walk under weight in life. The question is, will you walk under weight that crushes you? Or will you walk under the weight of glory that shapes you, defines you, and releases you to newness of life? And I'm praying that some of you are going to come to Jesus today and say back to him, I want this new life. I want to walk in the fresh, unbridled, passionate life that you've designed me for. You might be asking, what does that look like? what does that look like? I'm glad you asked that. Paul's way ahead of you. He's going to tell you what it looks like. Look at this, Romans chapter 6 verse 7, and I just want to define what this weight of glory feels like in the life of the believer. Verse 7 of chapter 6, for one who has died has been set free from what? Sin. So he'll go on to say in Romans chapter 6 that you are no longer a slave to sin, but because of what Jesus has done on his cross and through the resurrection, you are free from the power and the punishment of sin. Somebody say amen. 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 This is the good news, friends, that you have been moved from liberty, from captivity to liberty. That liberty has overwhelmed captivity, it's overcome. And some of you, you walk into this space this morning and you're carrying shame from some of the things that have gone on in the past, some of the decisions that you've made, some of the roads that you've walked, and you're going, Man, how could I ever get out from under this? Here's what Peter would say, and you, you remember that Peter denied Jesus three times, so he might, he, I'm just going to throw it out there. He might have wrestled with shame. Maybe. And here's what he says. He says that he, Jesus, he himself bore our sins on his body in the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed, healed. So there's some of you that are here this morning, and you walked in with this cloud over your head and this conviction, whatever it is going on in your life, It will never change. It will never change. And I just want to tell you that the empty tomb wants to speak a better word over your life this morning. That where there is captivity, there can be liberty. Where there is shame, there can be salvation. Where there is guilt, there can be this is the gospel. And here's the beauty of it. We are so used to trying to alleviate the weight on this side of the teeter-totter that we lose sight of the way that we actually become free. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul tells us how it happens. He says, for sin will have no dominion or no power over you. Why? Because you're awesome now? Because you, because you really worked on yourself and you made some really good self-improvement because you're not struggling with the stuff you were struggling with at one time. No, no. He says, sin will have no dominion, no power over you since you are no longer under law, but you're under what? Grace. You see, it's this beautiful waterfall of grace that allows us to walk in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. It's not because you try harder and do more. It's because you open yourself up to say, I just want to receive glory. It's my only hope. It's my only hope. It's my only conviction. God's restless, amazing grace is my only hope. If you're holding out for something better, may I invite you to reconsider this morning. His grace is our only hope. Here's how Paul continues. I love the way, I'm just gonna read, here's how Brendan Manning puts it. He's not Paul, but man, this is good. He says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Oh, man. Paul continues, verse five. He says, for we have been united with him in a death like his, And we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So listen to what Paul's really saying. He's saying the victory that we have is not because we make amends over here. It's because of who we're united to, that we are in Christ. And So friends, this is the gospel. It's not that you become more useful, and it's not that you become more lovable, It's that he takes you in all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your dirt and all of your messiness, and he brings you to Jesus. Do you know that this term, in Christ, was used 164 times by Paul alone in the New Testament letters? In Christ or in the Lord or in Jesus, 164 times. By contrast, the word Christian is only used three times. So early followers of Christ, they had this conviction that they were in him, that they were involved, that the blessing that he earned, they stood in. The grace that he purchased was theirs alone. The holiness that Christ earned was given to them because they were united with him. They were one with him. And see, we live in a culture where our value is based on what we can produce, Even in in good marriages, in good churches, in good homes, in neighborhoods, in job places, our value is typically based on what we can do. But for early followers of Christ, they said, no, 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 no. Our value and who we are at the deepest soul level of who we are is based on the reality that we are in him and that he is conquered death and conquered the grave. So here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. If that's true, Jesus cannot be a nice amendment to your life. That's the, that's for you, that's, that might be the bad news for you this morning. If it's true that by faith we're united to Christ, he can't just be a nice footnote, he can't be a hood ornament on the front of your car or a bumper sticker on the back, oh please Jesus, no, right? He has to be your whole life. And how silly is it, friends, that we want to make the creator of the vast universe a part of our story rather than submitting to his? See, if we're in Christ, if we are united with him, we give up the ability to say back to God, hey, God, do you want to be a part of my life? And he's like, oh, that's cute. That's that's wonderful. See, I was wondering if you wanted to be a part of my story. That's way better, friends. Here's what the Bible would say about those who are in Christ, that the far off have been brought near because they're in Christ. That those who walked in this door this morning going, there's no way God could ever love me because I've done this, 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 and this, and I've got so much baggage, and I've got so much weight, and there's no way a holy, precious God could ever love me. I would say you were right if Jesus didn't exist, but he does. He does. And by his blood you have been brought near if you are in him. If you are in him, you are a new creation. Somebody say amen. Amen. You are a new creation. And not only that, but you are a perfect creation in him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you stand pure, holy, spotless, blameless right now. So can we stop fooling around here and start dwelling on the reality that we live under the weight of the same glory that raised Jesus from the dead? Oh, man. When we get that, it changes everything. It changes everything. You may be going, Paulson, how do I do that? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. See, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And the Bible teaches that if we say no to God, he's a gentleman and he will allow us to say no for all of eternity. But the Bible also teaches that it's by faith that we step into a relationship with Jesus. And when we step into a relationship with Jesus, it not only changes our today, but it changes our eternity. See, look at the way that Paul writes it to the church at Philippi. He says that, and, and that we want to be found in him. How do we do that? Well, it's not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. It's not because we're perfect, it's not even because we're good. We get in him when we surrender and say, I can't, but I know that you can. Not having a righteousness of our own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, being made right with God, happens on the basis of faith. So maybe you're here today and you're going, all right, that's the step I need to take. I I need to surrender so that I can receive. I need to surrender my life so that I can receive his. We'll give you a chance at the end of the service, but if you're feeling that, God's already done that work in you. We step into relationship with Jesus by faith. And finally, here's when we receive the weight of glory, and the hope of the resurrection, here's what it does in our lives. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, early followers of Jesus, they had this conviction that they looked back at the resurrection and they saw what Jesus did in stepping out of the tomb and that it changed everything for them on a daily basis. Paul would say, you can walk in newness of life because it's true. A new day is dawning because it's true. But they didn't stop there. They didn't stop there. See, the resurrection points back. It looks down into the present moment, but it also looks forward. That if we have given our life to Jesus, if we died with him, then we also will one day be resurrected just like he was. And that is the destiny of followers of Jesus. And that is the hope that we have, is that destiny overpowers death. Overpowers death Jesus, the scriptures say, is just a first fruits. He's the prototype of what you and I will one day experience So one day, right now we get to live under the weight of glory But one day, He will call our name And we will rise And we will rise And we will know the hope to which we have been called See, friends, the hope of followers of Jesus is not disembodied floating spirits in heaven. It is a resurrected reality here on earth where Jesus breathes new life into dead bones. And as Tim Keller so beautifully puts, it changes everything. He says, for the early followers of Christians, the resurrection transformed their worldview. They had a resurrection-centered view of reality. They believed that the future resurrection had already begun in Jesus. That Jesus' resurrection guaranteed our resurrection and brings some of the future new life into our hearts now. Oh man. Guys, I don't know what if I didn't believe that, I don't know what I what I'd do, to be honest with you. Because a lot of you know my story, and um, two and a half years ago, my mom passed away, and, and she had a debilitating dra- brain disease that slowly crippled her body and her mind. And so we, over a year and a half, we watched as she grew sicker and sicker, where she was able to engage less and less. And we slowly, over a year and a half, watched her lose her life. Our, our story isn't unique. You've walked something similar, I'm sure. If you haven't, I hate to break the news to you, but you will. The statistics on death are staggering. <laughs> but I watched as she slowly went from being able to speak to unable to speak. I watched as she went from being able to care for herself to unable to care for herself. I I watched as she went from being able to walk to unable to walk, and my heart was just torn out. But as much sorrow as I had, and as much pain as I carry, and some of you are here right now, as as hard as that was, underneath it all was this conviction that we live in a world that is drenched in god's glory and that one day she too will rise and i'm convinced you guys i am convinced with every fiber of my being that her hands aren't shriveled anymore, that her knees aren't gnarled anymore, that her muscles don't atrophy anymore, that she's singing, that she's dancing, that she's bowing at the throne of Jesus. And I am convinced that she is more alive today than any of us are, than any of us are. And friends, that is our story. That is our story. So we can echo with Paul and say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? This is, we celebrate the death of death today. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, say it with me, church, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. To every person that would put their faith in him, he says, your reality today is new life. New life. And your destiny forever is new life eternal. It is your reality, friends. It is your reality. I was uh, there's this conference that was com- that's coming up in Denver where a number of Christian leaders are going to get together, and they're going to talk about sort of the impact of Christianity on culture, and they're going to talk about ethics, and, and they're going to talk about influence, and, and it was an expensive conference, and so I looked at my budget and went, I, I don't have enough money to go. And I was talking to my friend about this conference, and he said, oh, oh, oh hey, wait, 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 wait. He's like, I know a guy. Yeah, you have a, do you have any friends that are just the I-know-a-guy friends? <laughs> Who are these people? right? He's like, I know a guy. I know a guy. I'm like, all right, whatever, man. And and he texts me this week, and he says, hey, I got us tickets for a quarter of the price to go to the conference. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know a guy. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, evidently, so do I. I think the entire Christian life could be built around that phrase. I know a guy. I know a guy who looked death in the face and said, you're not going to take me down. I know a guy who looked at sin and said, I will conquer you with my own blood. I know a guy who looked evil in the face and who spoke good over it. I know a guy who looked hate in the face and he conquered it with love. I know a guy who was dead in the grave and three days later walked out with a check that said paid in full. Your life is purchased. My life is purchased. We can walk new because of him. Friends, I know a guy. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And we celebrate him today. We celebrate him today. Would you close your eyes in prayer with me as we close our time together? I know a guy. I know a guy.